today. It's good to be in person myself. I appreciate your prayers for for Cindy. She was positive to COVID and has gone through all what she needs to go through, and she's uh, on the other side of it. So we're thankful for that. Mariah and I didn't get it, but we just wanted to be uh, cautious last week. Didn't want to spread it to anybody else. So uh, thanks for uh, Rich stepping in uh, via video. It's great that we can do those kinds of things. Uh, special uh, reading to those joining us online. Think of uh, John and Carol deep down in the south, and uh, they join us every week when they're down there, and so it's good to just say hi to them and the others joining us online. Well, this morning we're continuing on with the book of Esther, and uh, this morning's title is Beauty in the Beast, and uh, as we walk through this, we're going to see that Esther obviously is the beauty, and King Xerxes uh, is the beast. And we're going to see how that unfolds and uh, see perspectives. You know, when you and I uh, think about fairy tales and think about those kinds of things, uh, we can all have a different uh, perspective and a different anticipation. Uh, About 20 years ago, uh, we were going down to Florida to see Cindy's parents, and they were moving back up to the northeast, and so they wanted to take us to Disney World. Uh, So we decided we would go to Disney World. The twins were like five, and Mariah was just shy of four. And so we went to Disney World, and we did all the things you do there. But what was really funny, not at the moment, but it was, well, it's funny. It was kind of funny then. I just didn't know how to react. But uh, uh, Hannah and Mariah were terrified to be in Minnie Mouse's house. I mean, their eyes were open so big, they were waiting for her to come in. We tried to coax them to sit in her chair. They, they weren't having anything of it. I mean, they were like reaching to get up in our arms. They were scared to death of being in Minnie Mouse's house. Sarah seemed to be oblivious, and uh, we finally got them all out of there, and we're hoping that Minnie wasn't going to show up, because I don't know what they would have done, because they were just terrified. You know, when we look at these things that we call fairy tales or stories or whatever, we we need to really get the right perspective. Sarah and Hannah obviously didn't have the right perspective. Minnie Mouse is supposed to be someone friendly, and the kids are supposed to go, oh, it's Minnie Mouse. But they weren't having it the way they looked at it. And we can have the same kind of response or a response that really isn't uh, connected with what we're looking at when it comes to a lot of uh, these Bible stories. And uh, so as you're thinking about these Bible stories, uh, I think they happened. I don't think they're fictitious. I don't think they're like allegories unless they state they are. But these things really did happen. But, uh, you know, we've kind of, in a sense, gotten used to them being like children's stories. And sometimes because they're, we look at them as children's stories, we miss some of what is really going on. And there needs to be a, a, a fresh eyes as we look at that. Um, You know, if you were to come over to my house and we were going to pick out a movie to watch, I'm kind of embarrassed when iTunes comes up, our iMovies comes up. You know, these are just some of the movies, but uh, there in the uh, corner is Frozen. And I have to kind of, in a sense, turn my man card in a little bit. That's from when the kids were younger. Everyone goes, yeah, right. But anyway, but Frozen is just, you know, one of those movies that uh, is just like, uh, 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 uh. And uh, you may remember it. This kind of gives you a little taste of it. I'm all off. Did Elsa build you? Yeah. Why? We need Elsa to bring back Summer. Olaf! Now I'm perfect. Almost. Oh, woo! Headrush! So cute. It's like a little baby unicorn. Olaf, you're melting. Some people are worth melting for. You're just maybe not right this second. Nothing's in my way. Hang in there! 
music. You know, some people are just worth melting for. Uh, you know. So anyway, so I don't know how many times I've seen that movie, way too many times. But some creative guy said, this is really the way this movie ought to be presented. Do you want to bet snowman? What have you done? are frozen I could watch, huh? That, yes, man. Perspective, the way we look at things. So when you and I approach these stories that many of us heard as children, we need to realize these really aren't children's stories. I used to love telling the story about Noah's Ark. That should, like, cause you to panic. That's not a fun story. You know, people knocking, you know, envisioning, knocking on the outside of the door, trying to get in as the world's flooding. That's not like a bed, you know, bedtime story. Uh, you look at, uh, you look at um, lion, uh, Daniel in the lion's den. That's horrendous. That's horrific. Now, again, I'm not saying we shouldn't be telling our kids stories, but we just, sometimes you and I as adults know that way of telling the story and remember the cutesiness of the story and then end up losing the power of the story. And uh, especially in Esther, I'm not going to get into all the reading between the lines, but there's a lot going on in Esther. There's a lot of PG-13, PG, uh, rated R, triple X things going on in Esther. Um, it, it, it's a tough story, especially with our sensitivity to um, how women are mistreated often and have been through the centuries, especially now, that, 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 we sh that should never have been allowed. That should ne the church should have been the first ones to say, there is a way to treat other people, including women. And we talked a little bit about the objectification last week or two weeks ago with Esther. That, that, that's, that's just wrong. And so it's about time that we said no. And it's too bad that the church hadn't been the first one to say no. But side story. So when we get into these stories, we need to remember this is not a fairy tale. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a cutesy-wootsy story. This, this, is, this is hardcore stuff. Now, when we read the Older Testament, just something to, to realize is the Older Testament, the Old Testament, uh, really wasn't a part of uh, Christ-following Scripture until around 300 A.D. I'm not taking anything away from it, but the Older Testament was added along or came alongside the Newer Testament around 300 A.D. And the reason that happened was there was a rich businessman who saw... What, how the Older Testament speaks into the New Testament, how it points to Christ, and he had the means to put the two together. Before that, the two together weren't together. If I had said in, you know, 20, you know two, 2050, if I had said, hey, can I see your Bible? 
you would have just given me the New Testament. You wouldn't have given me the Old Testament. So that's not to take away from it, but just to understand that. Um, it's like uh, Jeff Bezos right now, right? What's he doing? He's got this fancy yacht, so he has the means to, like, take this bridge down, get his yacht out from underneath the bridge, and then put the bridge back. So this is the kind of guy that had these deep pockets that was able to do that. And Paul says this. Paul says this when he's writing to the Romans, and this goes for all scripture. He says this. He says, for all those words which were written long ago, this includes the Older Testament, are meant to teach us today that we read in the scriptures of the endurance of men and women and of all the help that God gave them in those days, we may be encouraged to go on hoping in our own time. And so what we really need to do, especially when it comes to the Older Testament, a lot of passages in the New Testament, we need to understand the context. We need to understand what is going on there. We need good commentaries. Uh, you and I are not going to just pick up a passage and know all that. That's why it's so great we have community groups. It's so great that um, community Bible study on Tuesday really dives into that background and those things. That, that's a benefit. That, that's a good thing to do. So we need to realize that there's a, there's a contextual thou shall, thou shall not, watch out for this, whatever you want to call that. And then we need to take that principle and see the timeless principle there that applies to today. So sometimes it's very clear, Older Testament, thou shall not kill. Obviously, well, that's, that's easy. But then there are other things. There are things that talk about morality, talk about honoring God and those kinds of things. And the expression in the Older Testament, sometimes the expression in the New Testament are just, we, we don't have that same context. So we need to figure out what that is and then take that timeless principle and apply it to us. Like I think I talked about, I don't know if we did this in community group, but we talked about this uh, uh, two weeks ago, you know, the whole idea of head coverings. Uh, what do you do with that? It's pretty clear in the New Testament, Paul writes about covering your head. For women, what does that mean? And the quick takeaway from that is that was a sign of morality. That was a sign of respect. So we're not going to say everyone needs to wear head coverings today. We're going to say men and women. It's just not for women in a sense. We all need to understand what it means to live a moral, God-honoring life and show respect to others. So that's the timeless truth that we apply today. Again, sometimes it's uh, super clear, and sometimes you need to know the context. That's why it's important to study God's word. It's important to have a, have a good commentary. And uh, if you're really interested, I've done this before, if you're really interested in this, send me an email, and I will give you some good commentaries to get started um, to do that. You know, I mean, it's funny. You can have uh, on one book of the Bible, you could have uh, 10 volumes or there's some ones that have, I, I've got one that was why for Bible college when I first was starting out, it was called the Bible Knowledge Commentary, and there was one for the New Testament, one for the Old Testament, and that just that was enough to get me going. Because again, there are some things you just don't get from reading the page. You wouldn't know. How would you know? So, so uh, again, studying God's Word, the, the timeless principle. So uh, that was a freebie. So anyway, uh, this is designed to help encourage us to, to on hoping in our own time. And we live in a world and age and time where, where we need this. And uh, we can be a light, not a self-righteous light, but we can be a light to a world that needs light. And so there's a part of me, and there's a, it's, it's sometimes a weak part of me, that welcomes all the uncertainty we're living in 
Because when I bump into other people that don't know Jesus, I can say, yeah, it's crazy. But, uh, you know, I, I, God's a part of my life. And no matter how uncertain these days are, I have not a pie in the sky thinking, but I have a trust that he's going to work it out. And when we celebrate communion, we'll talk a little bit about that, uh, about we look forward. So, so these are good days to be alive. These are good days to be a Christ follower. And, and don't miss out on that. Leverage all the craziness. And think about how do I leverage it in such a way that it doesn't repulse people from Christ, but it draws them in. And I'm not talking about compromising your faith, but we've said this a bunch of times. Approach trumps content all the time. You can be absolutely right, but your approach stinks and nobody listens. Well, what was the point? You want to have people listen. Paul talks about saying things in a way that are beneficial for the hearer. Do you, and I have to ask this all the time, do I say things, not watering down the truth, but do I say things so that the hearer actually hears what I'm saying? So these are great times to be alive because you get to do that. Um, so Esther uncertainty, craziness. Um, earlier on, they, they didn't know what to do with Esther. Uh, even uh, Martin Luther wasn't sure it should be a part of the Bible uh, because it, it just it doesn't mention God. But what's amazing is you're going to see as we continue to walk through, his fingerprints are all over it. And sometimes in your life, in my life, we don't see these dramatic, bold, crossing the Red Sea kinds of things in our lives. But if we stop and slow down, we see that God's fingerprints are all over our life. It takes reflection. It takes shutting your phone off. It takes shutting the TV off. It takes focusing in, getting rid of distractions. And you'll see that God's fingerprints are on your life. And he's alive and well and is active, is more active than he was in those wow moments. Because our world is crazy. And it's still holding together. So let's jump to Esther. And uh, we're going to be in chapter 2. We're going to read through these 18 verses. Uh, that's page 344 on that Rack Bible. Uh, um, it's gonna, then it's going to jump to 345. If you don't have a paper Bible and you want one, uh, take one as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Um, also, uh, use uh, version. I love the fact that version can be on your smart device. And there are all kinds of times where you're stopping, waiting in line someplace, and you can pull out your, your Bible and, and read a little bit. That, that's a really cool gift that, that we have. So, All right, starting in verse uh, 1. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he rem remembered Vashti, that was his queen, and what she had done. She didn't come forward and, uh, you know, do this uh, walk the, uh, the runway and show herself off. He, she said she wouldn't do that. And what he decreed about her. And we're thinking this is about four years later. Um, we're also thinking that in between this time, he tried to invade um, Greece. And that didn't go well at all for him. So he's kind of lost. Uh, he's lost credibility. Remember that party he had for six months trying to generate 
uh, energy and generate uh, momentum. And then he, you know, topped it off with the, with the King Vashti. You can go back and listen to that sermon. And uh, she said no. And uh, so in between then and now, she's no longer queen. And he doesn't have a queen. And he's tried to invade Greece. And that didn't go well. And uh, some of us have watched all those movies that kind of depict that kind of thing. And uh, it was just a, it was a disaster. So here we have him at this place. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, because he obviously seemed down, let, us, let a search be made for a beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of the realm to bring all these beauties, uh, beautiful young women, into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the, the king's unit, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Warning, warning, warning. This was not a great place to live if you're a woman. And a side note, um, you know, some of those of us who some get down on following Christ, if you look through history, yes, Christians have done terrible, non-normal, noble things. But if you look at history, you're going to see that as Christianity gained true momentum, you're going to see that the value of women grows up and things change so if you look back at faith say well the church has done a lot of damage yes yes it has but also you look back if you were to really be genuine honest you'd see that following christ has had a significantly positive effect on our world and on people's lives it's just it's it's unrefutable when you really look through it there are these bad times but again back here it was just not good to be a woman Let the young women who please the king, the queen, be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. And, uh, you know, it's not written strongly here, but there's a lot of sexual innuendo in these original words. So, yes, this this is not, this is not, this is uh, the bachelor um, in the most horrific ways you can imagine, but this is what's happening. They're thinking that uh, there were between 400 and 1,400 of these women that were to go and see if they could please the king. Uh, you, know, you know, it's just, just, just some bad news. Now, there was a citadel of Susa, a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, named Mordecai, son of Jer, the son of Simei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jerichin, king of Judah. You remember Daniel, all that went along there? This is a part of that. And they were taken, and they were taken to Babylon. And what's interesting is this is probably about 120 years in the future from that. What's interesting is that Mordecai and Esther are still in the area. Uh, It's thought, you see in that little opening, that uh, he was in Babylon, and then for some reason, because Susa was just a wealthier, more economically better place to live that they had moved that way and it's thought that that's maybe where esther's parents passed away it's just thought filling in the blanks a little bit possible so so you have them there and so there's obviously some thoughts again there's thoughts of um why didn't mordecai go back to jerusalem if you were a good jew once you could go back to jerusalem because in their minds that's where god was 
God was present there, not present other places. We know, we now understand that God is everywhere. Yes, God would show up in significant ways through the nation of Judah, through, uh, through Jerusalem and all that. But uh, why didn't they go back? There's some step speculation that Mordecai didn't go back because he really wasn't following God strongly. He was a, a cultural Jewish person. He really wasn't engaged. And again, you're reading between the lines and the same thing uh, with Esther. But remember, you know, Esther, being a woman in that society, had literally no power, no ability to actually. Mordecai could have probably gone back to Jerusalem. I don't think Esther by herself, if that had been on her radar, could have done that. It just, it just wasn't the way it worked there. And so um, anyway. All right, moving on. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, which who is the um, Jewish way of saying her, her name, uh, whom he had been brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known by Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. It's interesting. Vashi had a lovely figure but, and wasn't beautiful. The writer is elevating Esther that she really was attractive. And Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother had died. When the king ordered and the edict had been proclaimed, many women were brought to the citadel of Susa. Again, this is that number, 400 to 1400, and put under the care of Haggai. Uh, Esther was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had the charge of the harem. Not a pleasant place to be. She pleased him and won his favor. Uh, somehow uh, she had his favor. And when you see this, you see this a lot in Scripture. Someone has the favor of other people. Sometimes this is because of what they did. Some of this is times this is because God has just been gracious to them. And God has caused other people to favor them. Even it's talked about Jesus. He grew in stature in favor with men and God. And so that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good thing. Um, he assigned to her seven female attendants, selected from the king's palace, and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. So she was getting special treatment because she had the favor of this person. Esther had not revealed her nationality and her family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do something. There was still a, um, a stigma to being Jewish. Uh, we see that today. That's, that's horrible. That's wrong. There's a stigma for any race. That's not to be a part of the Christ follower uh, way of living. Uh, it shouldn't be there. And it was back then, and it continues to go on. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. It's interesting. There's this idea that he had some kind of job. It was not unusual for him to be at the citadel, at the, at the castle, if you will. So he, he had some low-level, medium uh, job, and later on we'll see that that gets elevated uh, as we wrap up the book study. But, but so he had access there. If, if he didn't, you couldn't just like walk in there without having any access. So he had some kind of access as he, as he visited to find out what was going on. also shows that he really loved Esther as his daughter. Before a young woman's turn came to go to King Xerxes, she had a complete 12 months of beautiful beauty treatments prescribed for the women. Six months with oil, oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. Again, she wants to make this night memorable. 
uh, we don't have any idea what she brings, but uh, well, we will in a minute. But uh, but we just we just don't all know all those details. But again, th- this is like this is not good. This is not you. You would not want one of your kids, your daughters, to be a part of this uh, this kind of situation. In the evening, she would go in there, and in the morning, return to another part of the harem to the ch- care of Shazgar, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. I mean, this is just this is like being imprisoned. You go spend the night with the king. If he never calls for you again, you stay in the harem for the rest of your life. Horrible. Horrible. And uh, just, uh, you know, some, some depict Esther, you know, as going in, you know, and having, you know, preparing a meal and just kind of wooing him with intellectual conversations and, you know, all that kind of stuff. There might have been a little of that, but, it, but this was very sexual in nature. And uh, that's what it was. And that's the way kings behaved. Uh, it was, again, horrible. When the time came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted, the daughters of his uncle uh, Abadai to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. Again, she's been very strategic, very wise. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. You know, she, uh, she was taken to the king, Xerxes, and the royal residence in the 10 month, and the month of uh, Tibeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now, the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any other of the virgins. And, and again... You know, out of 400 to 1,400, God is working behind the scenes, even in a very, very messy situation. She set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashi. And the king gave a great banquet. Sounds a little familiar from, you know, seven years or three years or four years earlier. Esther's banquet for all his nobles and officials. Um, He proclaimed a holiday throughout the province and distributed gifts with royal liberty. Uh, there was actually a holiday, and uh, some of the thoughts were basically you got a tax break. So when you were to pay your taxes, you go, hey, you know, tax break, uh, taxes are down. And this, so everyone was really happy about all of this, and, and this is really great. So you've got all these characters. You're trying to figure out where they are spiritually, where they are in their walk with God. Where's Mordecai? Where's Esther, the king? You know, he's the beast. Uh, where are all these other people? And, and the principle I want to share with you that I think is really important, and at the same time, I get a little nervous sharing with you uh, because I don't want you to take this in the wrong way, um, is this. God uses crooked sticks to make straight lines. All of us, to some degree, are a crooked stick. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. But in God's grace, he can take our lives and do something great with them. And I don't know about you, but this gives me great uh, hope, joy, uh, because I've not lived a perfect life. Um, You have not lived a perfect life. And uh, the fact that God has grace um, and can take any life, uh, Paul's an example of that. Paul was persecuting the church. He was, he was killing Christians. He was doing all this kind of stuff before he came to know God as his Savior. And uh, he was a crooked stick. 
And all of a sudden, God gives him, a, makes him draw a straight line. So, so no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, because none of you are going to be perfect from this day forward either, God will use you. And that is so wonderful. Um, sometimes we talk about coming to know God. We talk about being saved, born again, uh, saying yes to Christ. What, what's amaz- amazing is, is, is no matter what our past is, uh, he, he, he can use our lives. Our lives can count for something. And, uh, you know, again, Esther, we don't really know where she's at. I've, I've read people that say she's, she was uh, basically uh, a woman of the night and, uh, you know, had all these sexual skills and that shame on her, blah, 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 blah. To others, you know, she met with the king and had a Bible study. I don't think that was going on either. Whatever. But she, she, she had issues. Mordecai had issues. We all have issues. And uh, Paul writes about this. The God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him, whoever says yes to him, decides to follow him. For there is no difference between us and them. And I, and I like that little line in there because sometimes you and I look at our life, and we know it's messy, we know it's crooked, but we see someone else's life who's more crooked, and we kind of take some pleasure in that. No, 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 no. No, that, that you shouldn't take any pleasure in that. It, it, it's the same. Your starting point may be different than somebody else's starting point. Then, in a sense, I would say you're more responsible with where your starting point is, and you better leverage it really well, but not in comparison to somebody else. Verse uh, 22. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, being out of step with God, sin, being selfish, both us and them, and have proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us. So God wants us to live a life in line with him. And the best of us, the best of us still fall short. Now that isn't permission to say, well, since I fall short, I might as well just kind of be sloppy with my life and uh, do what feels good in the moment and, and forget about that because God's going to use something in my life to draw a straight line or whatever. No, no it, it, then, then the, something's misfiring in your heart. But if you look at faith and look at what can I get away with, what? That just, that just, that just doesn't, you know, if you're, if you're trying to, uh, you know, raise your family and your kids came in, yeah, I, I hear what the rules are. I just want to know, you know, what I can get away with. How close can I get without getting in trouble? You're like, well, well something, that's wrong. That's not the attitude. Sometimes you and I live faith like, live our lives like that. We look at all the rules, if there are rules, grace and forgiveness, and we go, what, how far can I go without crossing the big bad line? And, and that's just, just all just a bad approach to everything. So don't be thinking that way. So when you think this, I'm not giving you permission. Uh, other passages will talk about, you know, I sin, so grace may abound, you know. Uh, don't, don't be, if that's, that's the restart. Don't be thinking that way, please. So when we think about this, uh, we need to realize that don't confuse being used by God with being approved by God. Uh, we don't have time for this, but in your community groups, I'd encourage you uh, to read through Samson, and there's a guy that's used by God, but his life is not approved by God. Uh, he definitely, God's using a crooked stick to draw straight lines. Um, 
So, so, don't, so don't go, well, you know, God blessed in this, so this must be a stamp of approval. My finances are good, in good place. This must be a stamp of approval. Um, my job is going this way. This must be a stamp of approval. That bad thing didn't happen to me. That happened to somebody else. That must mean I've got a special place in God's eyes, and he's okay with what I'm doing. Don't do that. Not the, you know, just, just stay away from that idea. Again, it's not about what I can get away with. And it's not about being confused. If God uses you don't, and you're doing something that's totally out of a line, go, well, I guess God doesn't really care about that. Don't, don't, don't do that. Um, giftedness doesn't equal spirituality. Uh, we really see this uh, sometimes in the life of pastors. They can have a really effective uh, preaching ministry, this ministry. The church can explode, all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, we hear that their life blows up, and we go, what was going on there? They were gifted communicators, but it really didn't reflect a spiritual life. And we could do that in all kinds of ways. Some, some of us will live all of life, and our giftedness will drip all over the place, and people will go, oh, how wonderful, how good, blah, 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 blah. And uh, it doesn't have any re connection with our spirituality. We, we just are gifted. So, so, so be aware of that. If you're looking for loopholes, don't look for loopholes. Success doesn't mean I'm right with God. Same kind of idea. Uh, sometimes, you know, again, that, that, that church that's growing, they say, oh, that guy, that's, you know, he must be right with it. No, that's not always. But at the same time, don't use the other. Oh, that's a big church. There must be something wrong with that. I mean, the games we play, there's plenty of time to think about yourself and your walk with God and what's right and what's not right. And, and work on that. Uh, don't worry about everybody else in a sense. Uh, sometimes we use that to kind of give ourselves a, a license to be a little jerky, and that's just not good. All right, Christian followers are living far from home in a world that is dangerous. This is one of those timeless truths. We see this with Esther and uh, Mordecai. Uh, they're living far from home, and you, if you're a Christ follower, are living far from home. Our home is heaven. Our home is that new heavens and new earth. Someday, Christ will come back. And when he comes back, he'll establish that. So when you're living life and, you know, you feel out of phase or you know, you're bothered by something, that, that's good because this isn't your home. It, um, the food shouldn't taste good to you, if you will. It just, it just should be off just a, just a little bit. If you're all comfortable with everything, and I'm, I'm not saying it's not bad not to be comfortable, but if, if just nothing kind of registers with you, then, then something's off. We are living far from home. Have you ever been far away and then come home and, and gotten that thing that, uh, that your home was known for or you knew your home was known for and nobody else knew, and you're like, ah, this is great. That's the way it should be. Uh, you know, when I, when I, I hate to say this, when some place around here uh, advertises clams, you know, I'm from this little town north of Boston, Ipswich clams are like, wow. And I'll even go out to eat with somebody, and they'll get the clams, and they'll sing their praises. I eat them. I go, what is that? It, it doesn't even have the belly. And someone goes, ooh, you eat the belly. Yeah, that's the clam. Not the shell, but the belly and the little thing. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just, it just doesn't taste right around here. I mean, it's more about the fried, crunchy stuff, not the actual yucky clam stuff that's what i like you know when i'm at ipswich you know so you know so it just it just doesn't taste the same and so that that should be kind of a the vibe that we have we don't wear that as a woe is me that's just that's just the reality 
We're only strangers traveling through this world like our ancestors. Our time on earth is like a passing shadow, and we cannot stop it. Last week, Rick Kramer made it really clear that, you know, we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what this afternoon holds. So we, so we better leverage today. We better use these moments well because we don't know what the next day has for us. Uh, or there's going to be a next day. And that's not to make you feel all nervous. It's just to say, hey, let's use this day in a great way and then see what happens the next day. Another passage talking about that, because th this gives just the idea that, again, it, life is not going to be easy here. When you're in over your head, that should be happening every once in a while. I'll be there with you, God says. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am God, your personal God, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you. And that's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. Actually, he gave his son. Trade creation just for you. So don't be afraid. I am with you. Man, just that verse is worth the price of admission this morning. You take that verse home with you. You just hold on to that and uh, let that just kind of like just settle in on your heart and your spirit. And uh, it changes everything. This is not our home. So we should have friction, not friction we create. I meet some people that are just, you know, I, I, oh, they, they told everybody at work they're a Christian. Oh, I wish they didn't do that. You know, I, you know though that kind of person. You don't want to be that kind of person. But uh, so you create your own problems. But you as a Christ follower, just living a faithful life, there's going to be times where uh, you rub those around you the wrong way. And it's going to get hard. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. It doesn't mean don't use those things, but have them own your heart. Practically everything that goes on in this world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all it's wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. The one danger of that last phrase is some of us may say, oh, so if I live a certain way, that gets me into heaven. That's not what that's saying. What it is saying is that when you and I live a faithful life, somehow that faithfulness is reflected when we are with God in heaven and on the new earth. I don't know what that's going to look like. I mean, in our world, we'd say, oh, so that means I get a better car than my neighbor. What? That, that's kind of, I get a better house. I get a better... No, no, that, that, that's a whole different way of thinking. That, that's not what we're talking about. But somehow, you and I are rewarded for our faithfulness. That's why Paul writes about running the race and running the race well. And he runs and strains to the prize that's set before him. There's this idea. Don't know what that's going to really look like. But I tell you, if you're faithful to God, not to a show for other people, but if you're faithful to God, somehow that faithfulness gets reflected in your eternal experience. And so that is what John is writing. So don't let the world own you. Live in the world, but not be of the world. And, and, you'll, and you'll be faithful, and that faithfulness will follow you. Now what's interesting is we live in this tension between living here and this not being our home. Because in Jeremiah, this was written to the people when they were gone into captivity. This is probably 100 plus years earlier than the Esther story. And uh, this is what Jeremiah is led to say, inspired by God. This is the message from the God of the angel armies. 
And it's interesting, it says angel armies because they just got wiped out. So you think, well, angel armies, why don't you show up and save us? But uh, they had, they had, this was a consequence of the actions. Israel's God, to all exiles, I've taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. He owns it. He's done this. Build houses and make yourself at home. Put in gardens and eat uh, what grows in that, in that country. Marry and have children. Encourage your children to marry and have children so that you will thrive in that country and not waste away. Make yourself at home there and work for the country's welfare. Pray for Babylon's well-being. If things go well for Babylon, things will go for you. well for you. In other words, bloom where you're planted. Uh, don't make that become your home and your focus, but live good lives. Bless other people. There's, not, there's nothing wrong with this. Engage in the world around you. Don't live in a holy bubble where you, you're just like by yourself and you don't know anybody who doesn't know God and you, you're isolated. Or don't be one of these people that's all in and, uh, and, and really doesn't have God really functioning in their life. Live this balance. Live this balance. Uh, Romans 12, 2, I love the way the message uh, paraphrases it. Don't fit, become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. I love this next line. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. That's awesome. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. And we can see that all over the place, the immaturity of our culture. It's not to put them down, but we we just don't want that to be in our life. We want to live differently than that. We want to be able to recognize what God wants for us just because we love God and want to please him. And so then we do it and do it quickly. Um, I love when we were looking at Joseph, um, Jesus' earthly father, how uh, he would get these messages from the angel, and the next day he was doing it. He didn't spend five weeks uh, meeting with all these spiritual people saying, should I do this, should I not do that? You know, he just, he just knew what he was supposed to do and, and did it. Uh, amazing. I love the way the easy read version renders it. Don't change yourself to be like the people of the world, but let God change you inside with a new way of thinking. Then you'll be able to understand and accept what God wants for you. You'll be able to know what God, what is good and pleasing to him and what is perfect. So we're strangers. We're just passing through. This isn't our home. Esther and Mordecai had to realize that. And you and I, these thousands of years later, need to realize that also. We talked about this on week number one, just so you remember it. God seems hidden, but he is not hiding. Um, Our inability to see his evidence or to see him isn't evidence of his absence. So just because, you know, you're not like having these crossing the Red Sea moments doesn't mean that he's not doing anything. It's more our inability. And, you know, I want to go default. I don't know if you've read any of Henry Blackaby's uh, stuff, uh, some of his books about experiencing God. But he talks about any time you and I feel in our hearts, when we're reading God's word, a nudge, that's God showing up. I don't know about you, but it doesn't go a few days without me really saying, wow, I need to work on that. Actually, probably it's most mornings. I, I guess that's God's voice. That's God showing up. That's God being found. These scriptures are able to make you wise, and the wisdom leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by God, and all scripture is useful for teaching and for showing 
people what is wrong in their lives. It's useful for correcting faults and teaching the right way to live. Anytime, anytime you hear the Spirit speaking to your heart, that's God showing up. So God isn't silent. God isn't hidden. He's right there. So you and I have all the tools to live in the world that we are in. Kind of already said this, but our bottom line this morning is this. Crooked sticks in the hand of God make straight lines. So the question is, are you in the hand of God? Have you said yes to him? If you said yes to him, are you still in his hand or you keep jumping out? They're not there. They're, they're not there. You know, when you and I are in his hands, he will take whatever our life is like. He'll take the crookedness of us and make a straight line. Now, I want you to do some homework this week. I'm not going to get to all of this because there's a little bit of conflict. Uh, you see what Esther does. Um, you know, Esther does the beautification process, eats all the food and all that kind of thing, spends a night with the king, and we're, we're not thinking again that they did not spend the night together. They did. And uh, we've got these other examples of people who did the exact opposite. Uh, you've got this example of Daniel. When Daniel went into captivity 100-plus years earlier, he did not want to defile himself, so he didn't eat of the food. Yet here we have Esther doing the thing, eating of the food. What's going on there? Spirituality is messy. So Daniel obviously was used by God, and Esther was used by God. So how do you reconcile that? What do you do with that? What does that mean? Is that an allowance for something? What, what, what is that? You think about that. And another one is this, uh, you know, back to, back to um, Joseph. Uh, Joseph was in captivity. Uh, Joseph is a, rises up in this household, becomes second in charge. Uh, he's very handsome, and his master's wife notices him and wants to sleep with him, and he says no, kind of similar to the king. So, so what's going on there? What's going on there? Think about that. Crooked sticks making straight lines. That's, I don't think that's giving us permission to do certain things, but, but what, what do you do with all of that? A couple other just uh, reassuring thoughts here is that God's faithfulness is greater than our unfaithfulness. I love this because there are places where I'm unfaithful. There's places where I'm unfaithful internally and no one around me sees it. Or there's been places where we've been unfaithful in big ways. But God's faithfulness is greater than that. We don't have to worry like the song we sang. We don't have to worry about darkness extinguishing the light. The light breaks through the darkness. Again, this isn't a permission. This isn't an endorsement to be unfaithful. But it's just calm your spirit, calm your heart. You are going to mess up every once in a while. And I hate even saying that because then someone says, oh, Dave says I can mess up every once No, that's not what I said. It's going to happen. But remember, God's faithfulness is greater than our unfaithfulness. Paul says it like this. So shall we sin to our heart's content and see how far we can exploit the grace of God? What a ghastly thought. If that's the way you come to these thoughts, there's something else going on in your heart that needs to be reset. reset. And what's reassuring, because as we're looking in this and looking at all these things, you know, can I do something that wrecks God's will? Can I shut down things? And I just like this thought. You, can, you can't irreversibly mess up God's will. You can't do it. 
There's consequences, yes, but, but, but God moving forward. If Esther, we're going to see, if Esther has said no, um, and we're going to see this later on, and not gotten involved with what's coming, and Haman's edict about killing all the Jews went forward, it couldn't go forward because those of you who know Scripture know that out of the Jews was going to come Jesus. So if all the Jews are killed, there's no Jesus. So, so God's will, God's greater plan is safe in his hands, so you can remember that, and that can help you sleep at night, at least for me. I can remember God's got everything under control. Nothing's going to thwart his plan. But then it comes back to my life and my heart and remembering that crooked sticks and the hand of God make straight lines. So there's no excuse. There's no excuse if you've said yes to Jesus to engage in living a life for Jesus that touches other people's lives. No matter how crooked, no matter what, you can engage. And he can use you to make straight lines. And what's so wonderful is sometimes your crookedness uh, just just sings his grace and his 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 love that uh, that gives you an effectiveness that uh, the crookedness if you didn't have that wouldn't have so he can use our worst for his glory for the good things let's pray heavenly father uh, we just thank you for the life of Esther we thank you that this book is included in scripture we're thankful that there just are tons of timeless truths that can help us align our lives in a greater way with you. Uh, Father, if there's someone who's never said yes to you uh, in this moment, I pray that they would just ask you uh, from their heart, say, Lord, I want you in my life. Please forgive me for my sins. I want to live a life that honors you. Uh, help me to, to move in that direction, and then I can be uh, your child. And uh, so I pray that uh, that person would think about that, maybe speak to somebody if that's on their heart. Again, that's you speaking to them. And then for those of us who have already said yes to you, Lord, we just ask that we would not allow our crookedness for us to disengage for living a purposeful life for you. Uh, we ask that we wouldn't run to being crooked, quote unquote, uh, that you would help us to live authentic lives that we would just really enjoy your presence and would be able to make a difference and use the life we have to point to you. Uh, we thank you for all the opportunities that are before us in this day and age. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.